The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today we have Trevor Thompson, who is, he's been an LP in 17 syndicated deals throughout his experience so far. Um, he has worked at iFly for a while before tr- transitioning to a GP, and he's soon going to start in his, his first deal as an active uh, general partner. So um, thanks for coming on. Where, where are you coming from, Trevor? Yeah, Benjamin, nice to be here. I live in Austin, Texas. So originally from Niagara Falls, Canada. Lived in Orlando for a while and been in Austin now for about 14 years. Uh, so that's spoiler alert. Not, I was wondering why um, Niagara was the name of your business, but now, yeah, now it, it makes sense. Niagara Falls, that's it. Awesome. Well, um, you have an amazing journey from all, all I've heard so far on the podcast when, when, as, as a guest. But um, could you start by telling us a little bit more about yourself and your story and uh, you can touch on your first milestone in real estate? Yeah, so I started out in the attraction entertainment business. So in Niagara Falls at age 13, I started working for Ripley's Believe It or Not. And then five years later, I went to Guinness World of Records. And while I was doing Guinness, I managed to open up a couple of franchise locations. I ran one in the Empire State Building in New York City for the parent company and uh, opened in. I did some consulting, opened up some different businesses. And then I moved to Florida crazy thing. I opened a year-round haunted house. I wasn't that successful, but I was there for three years. And then I got recruited by a headhunter to join iFly Indoor Skydiving uh, with the original owner in their first location in Orlando, Florida. And the kind of cool thing is on the very first team meeting, the owner gave everybody a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad and said, you need to create passive income if you're ever going to get anywhere and be successful in this life. Um, sadly, I put the book on the shelf and did what a lot of people did, just kept pounding out my, you know, I, Monday to Friday grind job, even though I loved working at iFly, um, it, uh, you know, I got consumed with a, a job versus consumed with creating, you know, passive income and personal wealth. And guys, I tell everyone who's listening to this to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And again, look, we have another example. You got to read, you got to read this book, guys. So purple Bible. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, every single person who's been on this podcast will tell you to read this book. Yeah. Just, yeah. So great. So um, yeah, what was your, your first milestone in real estate? Yeah. So what happened was, is I, I decided at some point in time, so we got bought out by a bigger company and I got, so that gave me my first access to some real capital. And so I decided, okay, I needed to learn about real estate. I knew single family was not something I was interested in. I knew I wanted to join a mentorship program that I could touch, see, and feel the people. So I joined a local mentorship program. They're only in the state of Texas. 
And my thing, their, their motto was, you know, realist Texas doing business in Texas. And uh, you don't even know not much of a Texan. Um, I like that idea, right? I like the idea. And so I started, you know, I joined their program. I went through their education and quickly made my first investment through them, um, which was uh, a 176 store property in San Antonio. So that was my very first passive investment. And I'll be honest, um, I didn't learn a lot, right? I gave them some money. They had a quarterly call and I wasn't, wasn't learning too much about it. And, you know, I'm a very active learner, like to learn things. And so what happened was I ended up in a position where I had some time. And so I went and said, is there any way I could help? Because I knew, I knew the apartment complex was struggling. And so that I became kind of an assistant to their asset manager, um, which was perfect, right? I was, this is all okay. I'm finally going to get in here and learn some more. And then, so I went down there, started getting my training, found out all, all kinds of things were wrong. And unfortunately that poor asset manager ended up losing his job. Hopefully it wasn't because of what I found, but uh, you know, it was just things went right. And then eventually they ended up decided they were gonna blame the property management company and fire them and self-manage. So all of a sudden I went from a volunteer to like actively managing a very deep value add you know, apartment complex with little experience, a um, lot of business experience, but little experience in the apartment asset management field. And then of course, this wonderful thing called COVID came along and really shook up my world. So it was just a wild ride. It was <clears throat> something I learned a lot is learn more about what you're investing in. You know, I believed it was a nicer, I'm literally the first day I went there, I felt like do I need a gun? Like, um, I was a little nervous and, you know, it was just, uh, it, I was like, wow, I actually invested in this. Um, I should have paid attention a little more. And again, you're new, right? And I'm excited and it looked good and everything was fine. And we managed to do quite a bit, even through COVID to get it back. Um, and then eventually we had a disagreement, uh, seemed to be a scenario with this guy that he would eventually disagree with somebody. And that deal went full cycle. We ended up getting our money back, but we didn't make any money. But at the end of the day, I could not have bought the education I got. You know, 10 months uh, actively managing a, you know, a deep value add apartment. There's just no way I ever would have got that kind of experience. And I got it without risking anything, right? Um, you know, just, just putting in some time and energy and, and, you know, absorbing what I could while I did it. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we we're talking about it a little before the, the show, but I mean, when, when you get your, when you're in a limited or a limited partner in investment, you got all these disclosures you got to sign with um, all the risks that can possibly come yeah. with real estate. Like we don't think anything's going to go wrong, but there's a chance. Sounds like some of these crazy risks that you could have never foreseen came, came up in this, uh, this, this deal. So can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? And like, I heard there's a stabbing at one of your deals. Is that, yeah, yeah, yes, same place. And so, um, you know, we, we, we started really struggling to try to turn the property around. So we had some drug dealers and we actually ended up, they got arrested, but then they released them because of overcrowding and COVID and they threatened us. So we ended up having armed security on the property and it was, it was crazy. Luckily we got them out. Nobody was hurt. Everything was okay. And then one night, um, it's like 11 o'clock at night and our property manager she sends me a text and it's a news link and I open up the news link and there at the beginning of the story for 10 seconds is my property sign and it says stabbing and I'm like 
oh no, like we worked so hard to turn around the reputation of the property and now I'm on the news for a stabbing. Um, and it was, it, actually stabbing sounds horrible. At the end of the day, it was two ladies that had too much to drink and uh, it this kind of funny. So the lady who actually got stabbed is who we evicted because she was a troublemaker. I came into the apartment Monday morning thinking, man, it's all going to break loose. And like a dozen tenants came in and said, I'm glad somebody finally got her. She's, you know, so we evicted her and, uh, you know, it was just so, so different uh, of an experience, but yeah, it was a lot. And we really worked hard to make it a safe family friendly environment. And, you know, we spent a lot of energy and we did achieve that. Um, but then, you know, just it was very hard for deep value add projects during COVID. I mean, these people truly did lose their jobs. Um, they were the hardest hit. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tough situation and I know the eviction um, moratorium was tough on landlords, but um, I guess ultimately there's a, a pretty big need that it was serving. So yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Important. Right. So um. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty interesting. And it's like, I don't get that, the perspective of someone who's had so much experience with tenants as uh, you have. So I kind of wanted to hear like, what have you learned about interacting with tenants in that in that case? It sounds like you had some good experiences, some bad experiences. Yeah, so to be honest, I worked really hard not to directly interact with the tenants. They were all told I was the bookkeeper. <laughs> mm, and, wow. you know, because I didn't want to give away the property manager's power, right? Because then everybody would just come to me with their problems. And she was very experienced property manager. And so, you know, then people would say, who's that guy over there? And she'd say, oh, he's just the bookkeeper. He comes in, you know, because I was always basically on my computer doing other dot, you know, but I was listening to everything that happened. And then, you know, so we could make decisions of what we were going to do. How were we going to deal with it? You know, we worked really hard with tenants that were trying to make good, like saying, okay, listen, you're three months behind. If you can give us 50% of the rent, we'll, right off the other 50%, you know, cause now you've got your job back and just try to catch up and do all these things. So we worked really hard to be proactive, um, but there were tenants that didn't want to do anything. They even refused to sign where the government would pay their rent, the rent relief. You know, they were just mad and bitter people. Um, and the other funny thing, it's not really funny. It was very heartbreaking actually, but it, it goes to show sometimes in the th different things. So the rent relief, not the rent relief, the relief checks for COVID came in. So I thought, oh man, everybody got a check. I'm going to get some rent paid. That, that, there was 28 big screen TV boxes empty in the dumpster. So like 28 tenants went out and bought a big screen TV instead of paid their rent. And I was like, wow, I learned a little bit of a lesson. Um, and the reason I think this all happened, there's a big difference. We provided them an apartment. We didn't provide them a home. And I think if you can get your properties and make tenants feel like they've come home, they haven't come to their apartment, they've come home where they live. I think there's some sort of pride in that in general people. But when you treat it like, hey, you know, it's kind of an adversarial relationship, you know, we want you to, you know, this and that. And um, so I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned was to try to change that, right, where, it, you know, we were trying to help them. You know, and then we started going, we started going to food banks and getting money or food and bringing it back to the property and just little things. And then um, made me think after we actually had the, the first 12, 20 tenants that paid their rent on time, got a raffle ticket for a big screen TV. I thought they like big screen TVs. So let me try to, you know, and, uh, and then of course we announced the winner 
and uh, worried that they might get robbed and their TV stolen, but it didn't happen. So. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. There's a lot. There's a lot of. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of great lessons there for sure. I mean, sounds like COVID, just that whole situation threw a lot of curveballs into the mix. But I kind of want to, you know, yeah, like touch back on that because I mean, also an amazing learning experience. But first, how had COVID of? I know that COVID was one of the catalysts that even led you down this journey in in a kind of an interesting way. So I kind of want to touch on COVID and how it affected you personally, yeah. but then also how that was just such a powerful, um, you know, situation where you really had to learn a lot to, to uh, overcome it. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I was with iFly under skydiving. I was on the new development and of course they stopped all new development, right? Because what's going to happen to the world, you know, everybody, I remember when COVID happened, we thought, okay, a month, two months, three months, and I mean, how long has it been? And we're still talking about COVID, right? Two years, it's 22. And so it's been a big game changer. And then unfortunately, I ended up getting furloughed and then let go uh, because the company had to refocus. Um, you know, they went from development mode to survival mode. And so they had to cut way back, cut back their resources. Um, you know, I live in Texas, so we got to open up pretty quickly. But some of our locations, like in the East West Coast, you know, they were closed for eight to 12 months um, just because of regulations and government restrictions. And, uh, you know, that was very challenging for the company. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, and, and that's, it's really interesting because in a way it's a, it was a blessing in disguise because now you've gotten all this amazing learning experiences and been able to, to pivot into to real estate. And I guess you even refocused your entire, um, you know, what you do with your, I mean, I guess to make a living even. So, I mean, yeah, you want to tell us a little bit about how you transitioned from there to, to uh, what you're doing now? Yeah, so I always have a funny saying. I've said it for a long time in my life, right? If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And so, you know, I'd always wanted to get in real estate investing and I procrastinated on it, right? Then all of a sudden I started doing it. Then all of a sudden I lost my job because of COVID. And I always wanted to become a professional full-time real estate investor. I wanted to go on the active side and start syndicating deals. So I just said, listen, I'm almost 60. I don't want to go get another job. I want to be able to focus this. I know this is the right path for me. I've learned enough to do it. So let me be bold enough just to, to which is hard, right? To step out there and just say, okay, I'm going with it. And, you know, tenaciously pushing along uh, just to make sure that I, I'm successful in this, this journey part now. And I believe in everything to do with investing in multifamily. I know I, it's going to be good for me. I know it's going to be good for my investors. And so I just got to stick with it and uh, take the things that I've learned over the time and apply them. Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. That's, uh, it's cool that, you, um, that you're following your, your passions. And uh, I guess what what kind of factors or like what resources did did you you have when at the beginning that really helped you make that transition you know yeah so i i as i said i met i joined a local mentoring program and i kind of outgrew them um they're mostly single family and they had some commercial and it, it wasn't the best fit for what i wanted to do so then i started searching out other ways to learn right so we were talking earlier about gary lipsky and his asset management training and i wanted to be asset manager anyways so i started listening to his podcast then i started going to his meetups online and then i started he did a, a three-week um training thing where it was three hours every day we, you know i bought the vip so i got the recordings 
Then I went to a paid thing with him. And then I actually invested in the deal with him. Um, you know, cause again, it just led me down the path. This is what I wanted to learn about. So I sourced out and then I started seeing who was he connecting with and all the different types of connections. And, you know, and then I started building up and getting, you know, right now I have a couple of mentors, um, that are different than the ones I started with because they're more ideal for where I am in my situation right now. Um, but I definitely think mentoring has everybody has bad things in their program. Everything has good things in their program, right? And you need to make a decision what's best for you at your moment in time. And when you outgrow that, you need to have the courage to be able to go do something else, right? Because continual learning is the only thing that's going to get you to the next level. Right. And I'm sure a lot of people starting out think, you know, like, why do we need a mentorship program? Like very expensive. Like, how do we validate this? Like, couldn't we find all this information for free online? I mean, I, I, I haven't, I haven't invested in a mentorship program yet, but um, I've also thought about it because um, I feel like I want to start using all this knowledge I've acquired. And it's been hard to take that yeah. next step by myself. Um, so I kind of wanted to hear what you thought about how to know if there's a, a mentorship program that fits in, fits for you. Like, how do, how do you figure that out? And then, yeah, like, what are the things that you look for um, when, when yeah, you're so, deciding? So definitely, if you're looking at a mentorship program, you want to start going to their events, right? So I, I've, I've been to, you know, I'm not a Jake and Gino student, but I went to Jake and Gino, um, their, their thing. Got a lot of friends who are Jake and Gino students. They all like Jake and Gino. So I say, hey, if you got some good people in your area, because you want close connection, you want a good coach within the program, and you need the support of a network, right, to get successful. I did Rod Khalif's, again, the Warriors program, they call it. It's a great program. I didn't join it, but I've been to their webinars. You know, Joe Fairless, I went to Best Ever Conference. Um, you know, earlier we were talking about books. Um, Joe Fairless' Best Ever Syndication book is the Best Ever Syndication book. I mean, it's amazing. And so, you know, I started seeking those out. And then I joined a, a, a smaller group that is Austin-based, and they do do a lot of Central Texas deals. So that was unique for me. And he's actually an author of another book I'm going to recommend, James Kamasami. It's called Passive Investing. And it's what every first-time passive investor should or new syndicator, because it's what I call it the simplistic approach of everything you need to know. Great. That sounds really, uh, that sounds like a really good one. I got to check it out. And um, I have a, yeah. a book list on my website and uh, I'm, I'm starting to accumulate all the recommendations from, from people on the podcast so I can yeah. put it into one place for people to find. So that's, that's a good one. Cool. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, how has networking, and I know you've mentioned networking is a big part of your experience yeah. and a lot of our guests have also corroborated that, but I kind of want to hear your personal journey. How's networking been the key for you or major key? Again, you know, we talked about COVID and its negative effects, but the positive effect of COVID was amazing because now I started getting on Zoom meetings at night and started connecting with people all across America. And then all of a sudden I went, wait a minute, there's some people in California that want to do a deal in Texas, but they don't live in Texas. So now I can meet them and say, hey, you want to do a deal in Texas? I know this crazy ambitious guy uh, that wants to come and be part of your team and let's have a meeting and let's talk and let's connect. And so it definitely broadened my horizon, you know, and obviously in-person was non-existent. And then I started going back to some conferences and it was like 
oh, we can touch real people, you know, we're here again, you know. I remember the first conference I went back to, Texas obviously opened up really early. And then the name takes, they had a green sticker, which meant I'm good, come and talk to me, shake my hand. They had a yellow, which meant keep your distance. And they had a red, which meant I'm going to keep my mask on and you keep your mask on and stay six feet away from me. But it was cool. Everybody just, um, it was funny. At the end of it all, people that wore their masks for the whole two days when the bar opened, they all took them off. (laughs) So, you know, uh, it's kind of a fallacy, right? I'm safe for the, and then all of a sudden for the hour when everybody's having a drink, I'm going to, you know, somehow expose myself and I've been safe. It's, it's a crazy world, but uh, you know, but definitely, and you want to meet. So at the end of the day, real estate is a team sport. So you need to meet people that fill your needs, right? So my specialty is networking and asset management, right? I can do those things. I'm not an underwriter. I wish I was, I keep trying to learn. I keep buying all the programs. It's just, my brain doesn't work that way. Um, you need to find somebody who has, you know, the net worth and the liquidity to be able to get bank loans. And so you need a team of people, you know, and typical GP team has four to eight people on it and you need to have a good team and you're going to be doing a deal that is like five years. It's like, you know, but marriages sometimes don't last five years, you know, and, uh, you're going to be in business with somebody. So uh, luckily mine did, I'm actually Monday, 42 years. So, <laughs> Awesome. Well, sounds like you have some experience picking teammates. So I guess you want to tell us a little bit about how you do that and um, how you know that you're here besides the skills aspect, but how do you know yeah. um, you're going to work yeah, well so together? With I always you? start out with skill-based, right? Cause I need a skill, but at the end of the day, skill-based is only part of the equation, right? It's, do you think the same? Do you want the same things? Do you have the same set of values? You know, so you really want to make sure that you're involved with people that share your core principles, right? There are things that I just won't do. Um, You know, there are things I just won't do. And so when I talk to people, I say, listen, these are things that are important to me. Are they important to you? And then we talk each, I'll talk about, are they, you know, they're important. And you want to make sure that everybody on the team, we all have the same things that are important to us. Yeah, that's definitely very important. And um, I know it's like, Technically, everything sounds like it would work perfect on paper, but, you know, human connection is not a, a logical paper thing. You know, it's definitely a lot more. So that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, definitely, um, yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, and again, life's too short to work with people you don't want to work with. I mean, it's just too short, right? Surround yourself with like-minded people that believe the same things as you and you can be unstoppable. Yeah, I really like that. And I, I think about, about that a lot. And uh, it's been great this semester because I've met a lot of people who share similar aspirations since like now having some friends who are you know thinking like me, it's like, wow, it's like we can like, go for it together and it feels really good. It's empowering, right? Very, very much so. Um, and I guess one thing about what you said, I kind of want to push back on or dig deeper in, like, do you think that finding people that think the same or have a lot of similarities in their thinking, do that, does that expose you to any risks in terms of like, wait, we all see it the same way. What if it's a different way? You know, is it sometimes good to have that? Yeah. 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 There's a big difference between think the same and the same values. You don't Mm want to be with people that think the same, right? You want to be with people that are willing to challenge you. You want to have a relationship where I challenge you, you challenge me. But at the end of the day, if it ever comes down to a decision, the decision is always based on our principles and values, right? So if we're going to make a decision that violates those, 
that's that's a no win. Nobody's going to get that, and we have to find a way that sticks to our values. So you definitely want people that are not the same as you. You know, you want to have the conservative guy that always says we can't. That's not going to work. And you always want the optimist guy that says, "Man, we can do anything we want." And then there's somebody in the middle who's the realist and you know, you need all of that diversity to have a good team and you need good flow. But at the end of the day, what you need is the matching principles, matching values. And those are the things that are going to, you know, at the end of the day, when it's hard to agree, um, at the end, the only thing you're not going to compromise is your principles and values, right? I may lose the argument, but I'm okay with that as long as it doesn't violate my principles and where I want to be. Right. And I, I really think that's a powerful point because when I'm thinking about the people who I like to be around and I, I grow with, it's like we have the same values of growing and learning and trying to be challenged in different ways. So it's like some people can't really, you know, don't really like any sort of challenge because it's a, an emotional experience. But the people that I'm growing with, we all, you know, we all want to be challenged. So it's like I can if I see someone doing something wrong or like that doesn't align with what they're trying to accomplish, which happens to be similar things that I want to accomplish, I can say no, that's not right. And they're like, they're not going to be offended, right? Because they know that I'm, yeah. my value is that I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to help them. And, you know, we understand the relationship where we're trying to grow together. So then that challenge, it's like, I don't really have to like sugarcoat it. It's just like, yeah, like this is functional. Like we're supposed to challenge each other. We are supposed to grow together. So um, yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And one of the cool things when I worked at iFly, that our owner for a long period of time, he was very much on like, challenging things and reassessing everything and so we used to have these meetings that were start stop and continue so i would tell you i want you to start doing this i want you to stop doing this and what you're really doing that's bringing a big value to the team is this and i want you to continue it and it was amazingly insightful because you really wanted to you know when you're telling somebody to stop something that's a pretty big thing to do and telling them to start something you're challenging them to take something to the next level and then of course you want to end with continue so this is what you're bringing to the team man and bring it on keep keep it coming like put the gas pedal full down and it was a really interesting way and it really built a strong team dynamic because you would think through that and you would you know and everybody wanted to really give you three things that were going to change your life and take you to the next level and that's that's what a team does yeah that's really powerful um i mean i i've never heard that 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 uh i guess that framework before i mean could you give us like a an example where you apply that so i, yeah, like so I want more. you to so i was passive aggressive i'm a passive aggressive guy so i want <laughs> you to stop being passive aggressive and then you would always have to bring it up with a, like, let me tell you where you were passive aggressive with me. And it really did that. Okay. Um, and then uh, I want you to like, we had a person that was late all the time, always late, drove me crazy. I'm a, I'm a fanatic on being on time. I want you to start showing up on time. I want you to respect my time when you're late. I want you to feel like you've disrespected me because my values are that if we have a 10 o'clock meeting. You're going to be there at 10 o'clock. And I'm not going to be sitting there wondering if you're showing up and, and doing it. And then a continue would be, man, you've been working on this project. It's rocking and rolling. And I want you to take that project to the next level. Yeah, I really like that. That's, 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 um, that's awesome. And I guess, uh, I mean, for you now, what's your, your, your next milestone in real estate? Or what, what are you trying to accomplish 
Um, yeah, so I'm trying to do my own syndicated deals. I'm, I'm not a big enough guy yet to be the lead sponsor, um, but I want to be on some deals. I'm working on like four deals right now and very interested in, in being, you know, I want to switch over to be on the active side. That's my goal. I'm going to back up. I'm always going to passive invest, right? If I teach everybody that you should passive invest and I stop, I'm a kind of a hypocrite, aren't I? So my goal is to always spread some of my risk and passively invest in other deals. But I want to get a little more balance, right? Like I'd like to have, you know, six or seven active deals and six or seven passive deals and then kind of play along depending on what happens in life. And of course, my ultimate goal is eventually just to be passive, right? That's my ultimate goal. Um, eventually, I'm not going to want to go manage apartments or do different things. So I want to, my goal is to, you know, have, and that's my legacy wealth that I'm leaving to my family, right? So, you know, mine is to turn it into something like, you know, I'm a land, I'm Walgreens landlord or whatever. And it's just this rent check comes and it goes to my kids. And, you know, that way they don't have to know how to run an apartment complex, right? Uh, and that's kind of where I'm going to leave my legacy for them. I know I'm only 20, but I've also thought about switching into triple net at some point and then <laughs> later down. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess in terms of on the actor side and what you're trying to pursue now, how are you finding these partners and what are you bringing to these teams? And like, like I just want to get into a little bit more detail of what you're doing on yeah. the GP. Yeah. So I gonna, have right? different groups that I work with. I have one group that loves smaller properties. You know, they're okay as small as 10 properties. Um, don't want to get much bigger than 48 properties. And they really like those. So I look for deals in central Texas to do with that group. Cause that's their kind of wheelhouse. That's what they want to do. They want to own a bunch of smaller things. And they'd like to own them all in the same city. So there's some synergy with it. And then I've got another group of partners, you know, they kind of like the 72 to hundred, all the gurus teach you to look for hundred and above. So we're trying to stay under the niche at 72 to hundred, staying away from the big money boys, but it's still big enough that you can have an onsite property manager, you know, and then I've got another partner. He's only thinking big, right? He's the development, he's, uh, you know, 200 plus units. And on those type of deals at this level of my life, I would be the smaller partner, right? I would be the guy that they would bring in, you know, because once you get those big, you know, it's a different level, right? So they don't need quite the, they definitely need the attention, but they may need a different skill set than I have. So, yeah. So what are you, for? let's, let's stick with that, that last uh, partner you mentioned. Um, so are you investing as part of the GP with your own capital? Um, but Always never invest in a deal where the general partnership doesn't have their own money in the deal, their own skin in the deal, and it should be more than their acquisition fees. So mm -hmm. acquisition fees is the fee you get for doing a deal and they should get acquisition fees because there's a lot of risk in setting up deals and things go wrong and you can, you know, um, I'm on a deal right now and it fell apart and as a group can lose $500,000 It's significant, right? No investors lost money. But our goal is let's go find the next deal and make that money back up, right? right. And let's let's do it. It's sort of part of the risk reward of being on the active side versus the passive, um, you know. So, but it's very important to be able to understand the whole picture um, and be able to get there. But you know, I want to be on a team that I bring value to the team. I've been invited to join deals where I don't see I'm just a capital raiser. I'm not bringing any value to the deal, and if I'm not actively managing the deal. I don't feel comfortable enough to have my friends and family invest in the deal because, you know, I, I just don't know enough about that deal at that time. All right. That's a really good point. 
Um, so are you bringing in your asset management capacities when you're part of the GP? Yeah, so that's my goal, yeah. Awesome. So yeah, can you tell yeah. us a little bit about what, what that entails? Yeah, so basically, as a group, you buy, a, you look at a piece of property, and then you make a business plan. And the business plan is different depending on what what's going on, right? Normally, it's we're going to improve apartments, we're going to increase the rents, we're going to reposition the property, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and here's our timetable to do it. And here's the people we're going to hire to go do it. So an asset manager basically takes the business plan and executes it. Okay, so everybody in the team is still involved in it, but there's one guy, right? So, okay, what by when? I always say what by when? So you're going to have this apartment finished by Friday. I'm going to come to the apartment complex Friday and look at all the apartments that you think are finished. And then I'm going to critique your work so we can constantly improve it. I'm going to say why we're full. Why can't we increase the rents, right? Because, you know, we're at 100% or 98% capacity. Let's push the envelope. Hey, we need to do this. We need to do that. You know, I'm the one that's going to say, okay, let's do a tenant survey and find out what the tenants want. And then I'm going to go implement what the tenants want to give them, you know, so they're the person that executes the business plan and they execute it with the support of their team, right? Because you still need to, when you're doing your CapEx improvement budgets, somebody needs to talk to the bank to get the money released and it needs to all be systematic. But at the end of the day, the asset manager is the one that executes the business plan which is how we all make money, right? If you don't execute right. the business plan, you just buy apartments and stand there and look at it and go, well, I thought it would go okay. Um, it's, it's not going to, right? You have to have a plan and that plan takes a lot of work and hard work to execute the plan. But once you start executing it, it will eventually go on kind of cruise control, right? So the first three or four months, you know, in the deal that I was on, you know, we had an 18 month plan. And it was a very strict timetable because our goal was to get out in three years on that deal. And if we didn't execute, if it took 24 months, we're not going to get out in time because we haven't executed efficiently. Right. And you learned the hard way, the importance of the operations and the asset management. So that's, yeah. that's really powerful. And I know that um, a lot of people who may not even have been putting too much emphasis on operations or asset management have been decently okay given the, the the amazing increase in the market since the last crisis but um that's not gonna last forever and really where where the people are people who are not gonna get taken under the ones who are gonna have tight business plans that they actually uh, execute well yeah good operators are you know the market's changing and good operators are more important than anything of course well are you ready for the lightning round yeah i am awesome so what superpower would you want if you could choose any superpower Man, superpower, read people's minds. <laughs> yeah, that could you be know, helpful. What's that person answer. thinking? May not want to because I may not like what I hear. But yeah. uh, you know, if I had a superpower, man, I'd like to be able to read your mind because I like to connect with people and then try to fulfill, you know, what, you know, I don't know, that one Star Trek thing where the guy could feel your pain or, <laughs> you know, and it was like, that'd I, I, be cool. <laughs> yeah, it might be helpful as an asset manager. So he's going to, yeah. who's not planning to pay your rent. <laughs> yeah yeah pre preeminently evict them uh, that's funny well um what's your favorite book or ones well, i know we've covered a couple but uh is there another book that's helped you the most yeah so so the most powerful book you got to do it in audible and i'm going to give you two books i'm going to cheat so you got to read grant cardone's 10x do it in audible right. and then He's when so you're inspiring. done doing grant cardone's 10x you got to listen to be obsessed or be average basically it's the answer to all the 10x questions um 
love them or hate them. A lot of people hate them. Those two books are life changing. And then I mentioned the two real estate books that I like. And there's lots of other books. If I could give one shout out to another one, it's called The Go-Giver. And it oh, yeah. talks about, uh, you know, giving people things and, you know, adding value to people's lives. It's a, it's a pretty good book. Awesome. That's a lot of great, great stuff. So uh, what motivates you to continue every day? You know, I just got this passion to succeed, right? I'm obsessed with like getting to the next level, succeeding. Um, just, I'm, I'm just like, I mean, I'm at my computer every morning at 5 a.m. I do, do Zoom calls at night. You know, I'm just super obsessed with, with achieving the goal. And then, you know, I really want to be able to achieve the, the go implement the business plan because when I do that, right, there could be 30 or 50 people invested in my deal. And when they all go make money, they, they can do what the reason they want to. Some want to retire. Some want to pay their kids education. Some want to donate it to help animals. Whatever there is, at the end of the day, if I execute the plan, 30 to 50 people got a contribution to their why. I mean, think of the power of paying it forward, right? You doubled their money in five years and you let them fulfill what they need. And they could just need to pay the bills or they could have some higher mission. And that's not me to decide what they do with it, but it's for me to be a good steward of their money to give them the opportunity. Yeah, and that's something that draws me to real estate as well. And I even think the value of improving the lives of the tenants and having them wake up in a place where they feel happy and that they have the things that they want and the simple, the simple things too. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah. I just think real estate is an incredible, powerful way to add value to people and yeah. something I'm passionate yeah, about. Thing. Instead of saying, come over to my apartment, come over to my home. Right, exactly. It's amazing. Um, so what advice would you give someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? You know, so start when you're your age, right? <laughs> so there's a big saying, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. If I just started at your age, I'd be like total night and day lifetime change difference. Um, you know, real estate appreciates over time. It's a good thing. And I didn't start early enough, right? I mean, even I was in my 40s and I got that rich dad, poor dad, and I sat on it for a long time. And boy, it's a big regret, you know? So don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And yes, when you're younger, you may have to buy one deal and wait five years for that one to succeed and then put it into two deals and then another five years. Put, but eventually, if you started at your age, just think of it, right? If you could, you know, in theory, double your investment every five years and you started out with, let's just say, you know, $10,000, it's life altering. Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, part of me has a trepidation about how far asset prices have already come and maybe it's not the time to do it. But I also have high conviction that it will be higher uh, 40 years from now. So yeah, maybe right. that's... And there's lots of ways for young people to start, right? There's house hacking, you know, bigger pockets, man. You know, they created beautiful plan, right? Oh, yeah. So go buy a house, rent it out to tenants, go buy a duplex, rent out next door and rent out tenant. And when you get married and got your own family, you buy a fourplex and you live in one, you know, and I, I got a friend who started that way. And he's got 130 homes with infinite returns. Infinite returns right. means he's bought it. He's rehabbed it. He's refied it, took all his money out. And he's got 130 homes with his debt on all of them. He's never refied them after the first one, but he's got infinite returns. Cash just pours in because, and he started, he said his first year he bought one house and then his next year he bought, you know, and then he just kept going. 
Right. That's amazing. And one of my new favorite metrics is the, the payback period. It's like how many yeah. years till I get all my money back. And now everything is just like sprinkles yeah. on the on ice cream or whatever, ice on the cake. Yeah. So yeah. Well, since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So ask me anything you want to know about me. Um, so what are you studying in school? I'm studying finance, management, and philosophy. And um, I know it's a little a wacky mix, but I think it has that's a-, a mix. But that's a crazy mix, right? Not too many uh, financial guys are in the philosophy. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a it's a big big problem in a way because part of the what I think is so cool about finance and philosophy together is that your models are only as good as the assumptions you make in them. And yeah. I mean, you, like philosophy is a logical process process of how do we figure out what we don't know yet, yeah. and you know to really be able to educate your models with a different way of thinking than anyone else who's making these models. Like you really can unlock some amazing potential and mitigate some like powerful risks. And I think yeah. that that synergy is um, underrated. And uh, that's my little elevator pitch for why finance, is, finance awesome. and philosophy. But I think the, the real reason might be once I have a, enough passive income, I can just read Plato on the beach all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah see, I don't even want to do that. It's bizarre. I have no desire to go sit on a beach somewhere. No desire. Yeah. Um, now I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, but I have no desire to go play on a beach all day. I, I, my, my brain just doesn't work that way, but I want to be able to do, yeah, I want to be able to say, I'm not going to do anything today, or I'm going to go here or go there. Um, but yeah, it's funny. It's just the way I'm wired. Uh, you know, when they show those retirement pictures, I like definitely want to take vacations and sit on the beach once in a while, but uh, it's, I, I like to keep my mind active and doing stuff. Yeah, well, to me, uh, I very much can keep my mind active doing philosophy, you know, because I think yeah. philosophy is an, a- an active, uh, you know, it's like, it's really, it's the, the love of wisdom, you know, it's the constant yeah. love of growing and learning. And I think that um, just the, the freedom to be able to work on myself, you know, because I, you don't have to be pushing buttons all day necessarily. But then also it's like, I can um, do my real estate business from the beach just on yeah. my phone. And that's the flexibility of where I can go as well. I, I mean, I guess COVID helps a lot with that too, but um, yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, maybe I feel like I need to take a week off to, to be more productive when I come back and I have the flexibility because yeah. I can still be, I, my family is still fed, even if I take that, that break to even be able to be more productive in the future. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to stop working just because I already know I love what I am working on. So um, yeah. it's, it's a game in, in a way. So it's a, it's really, it's really fun and exciting. Well, this has been an amazing interview so far, and we've got so much incredible insight, and I'm really excited for everyone to, to learn a lot from this. But um, you have any final remarks you want to leave the audience with? You know, just if you want to reach out, I'm active on Facebook and LinkedIn, K. Trevor Thompson. My company is niagara-investments.com, and you can, my email is just simply ktt at niagara-investments. So if you want to reach out and learn more about uh, passive investing, I'm happy to do it. Awesome. And all that will be below in the show notes. So feel free to reach out to Trevor. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And um, my pleasure. Yeah. And everyone and, and Trevor, keep making milestones. All right. Awesome. Bye-bye.